Welcome to the DLR Libraries podcast, Need to Read. Recommended reads from those in the know. Today I'm talking to Druti Shah. Druti is an award-winning journalist, writer and producer with a passion for creative storytelling across all platforms. Her experience ranges across fields as diverse as business, user-generated content, news, natural history and science. She has worked extensively in global newsrooms, including more than a decade at the BBC, and she has recently uh, had a book published called Bear Markets and Beyond, A Bestiary of Business Terms, which is an illustrated guide aimed at demystifying business using the natural world. It's illustrated by Dominic Bailey and published by Portico, which is an imprint of Pavilion Books. Judy, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. There's so much to say about what you do and, and your career and your work. But given that we're in various states of lockdown, maybe you could tell me how you're finding that and how it, maybe it's changed the type of work that you're doing or if it has. In terms of, yes, yeah, so I do a lot of digital news gathering. Um, and so I've been at home, actually, my, we've been shielding because um, uh, my dad had a kidney transplant, so he's classed as clinically vulnerable. So we went into shielding before shielding became a thing, as it were. Um, and so where I have been very lucky is because I'm working in digital news gathering primarily for, for work, that it means that, you know, give me a laptop, give me a phone, and I can use that in order to be able to go and find people. Like, that is where one of my skill sets is, that although I might not be out walking and knocking on doors, I am knocking on any digital door um, that, that is available. So one of the key things that has changed is clearly we're doing pa- more pandemic storytelling, um, because, let's face it, everything is pandemic pandemic storytelling. Um, one of the things that we've been focusing a lot more on is... Um, working on the stories of those who have passed and making sure that their lives and their legacies are um, are being told in a very sensitive manner and that we're dealing with their relatives in a very sensitive manner as well and, and reflecting what's going on around the world in that situation. So there's there's that more tragic element in terms of the pandemic and, and doing a lot more um, grief journalism, I guess. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is also stories around survivors and um, what it's like for them to have long COVID, for example, what it's like for those who are at the beginning of the stages. Um, one of the stories that I did was about a woman who came out and the key focus that, that really stood out at that point was the fact she had to relearn how to breathe again. And so that's been very interesting, how you take the body and that which perhaps is you know not taken for granted as such but you know it's your body you're used to it you're used to it for however many years and then having to relearn basic steps but steps but those that are essential for you to be able to live so a lot more pandemic storytelling it gives me a lot more perspective as well in terms of how short life actually is um and when you're talking to you know the relatives of those who have passed on a, on a daily basis that again gives you a lot of um perspective um so yeah it's the pandemic is strange in that respect but at the same time it you know I'm personally constantly looking to see what else is beyond the pandemic or, you know, how it is moving our lives on and, you know, what what else is out there as well in terms of... Because there are things that just don't go away in terms, you know, whether it's business or whether it's um, education, for example, people still need to be educated. Um, so there is a lot that, that you think, but the pandemic, and then you think, but life is still going on and we still all have to learn to adapt and what is going on and what, how should we report on it? And what's also been particularly weird for me is, you know, is having a book out, if I'm perfectly frank with you, in lockdown. Um, it's not the ideal time in which to have a book out and something that, you know, is a childhood dream come true. But then being able to, to switch between um, very 
difficult pandemic storytelling to be telling the world, look, we're in, we're going to be in a post-COVID economy. And, and actually, my project has always been about financial literacy. And now it's letting people know that, that it is available. And actually, especially with people learning at home, people um, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with the markets, with their money, saying to them that actually bear markets and beyond could help you navigate this world, which is closed off and can be confusing, but it's something that you need to know about. So it's been a very surreal time for, for various reasons in that respect. I'd say, I mean, a lot of authors who've had their, you know, your, it's your passion project. It's your, it's just something you've been working on for a long time. And it's, and then it sort of seems so unfair that you can't have, you know, your book launch and, and go and meet people and that kind of thing. So it's definitely um, a different way of, of navigating that. Um, but it sounds like the work you're doing is quite heavy. So it must be nice as well to have that to focus on. And I think people like to have different news coming at them as well. And, and um, especially you talk about financial literacy there's going to be so many people who have been hard hit by this or maybe lost businesses or are are, you know uh, changing what they do now and um so maybe we'll talk a little bit about that book so um it's a visual financial literacy guide so from what I can see it seems like it's very much in line with your values so um your curiosity for language um because it is about language as well um but also helping people through promoting inclusion and um perhaps making them aware of what's available to them. So maybe can you tell me a little bit about how all this came about? Sure. So um, the book, the idea came about, I mean, I keep saying four years ago, but we're in the new year, year, new year now. So about five years ago, and I was working in the BBC's business unit at that time. And my focus was more on social storytelling. And to be perfectly frank with you, it came out of me having a bit of false imposter syndrome. Um, and thinking I'm not a business expert, I'm, I don't have a background in investment banking or economics or anything like that. But this is a world I need to know more about. And so, you know, how do you navigate that pathway when you're at the beginning of something and you're, and you're not quite sure what you're supposed to, to, supposed to be doing? Like, I know how to storytell, I'm, I'm good at that. But how do I storytell business? How do I storytell economics? Um, and so my colleagues are super amazing. And it would be really brilliant when I'd be like hold a minute did they just talk about a hawk you know they'd be talking about the chancellor at that point being a hawk or did they just mention that Facebook was a unicorn and so I'd I'd start sketching very sort of simple sketches and and that helped me to to be like hold a minute I like nature I like nature very much as it were and and here's a way to start um tackling something that I don't fully understand um and as you start the minute you start doing these things you're like hold up there's bear markets and there's bull markets and there's loan sharks and there's this is this is a bit of a menagerie. There's a lot going on here, and and I teamed up with an illustrator because um, you know you also have to know your forte. And I'm I'm good, but there's also like I found this guy who's really good at drawing animals, and so I messaged Dominic Bailey out of nowhere. Um, he works in a different part um, of the BBC, and I just said to him, "Look, I've got this idea. I don't know. I know that you don't really know me. So again, I guess it's testament to the fact that be quite shameless and and approach people that you think might be interested. Um, what do you think? And I was very lucky that he came on board straight away got me not everybody did it had a lot of rejection from the beginning where people were like this is, this is what sort of idea is this like because there was nothing else like that I had gone out deliberately looking for a book like this um, where you just get animals and it's a bestiary and it will help you navigate and there wasn't one and that's the the main reason why I went well if there isn't one and I definitely need one then surely there must be other people who would want that as well and so, yeah, it took a, a long time, but we started building together a list. We started drawing um, 
strange illustrations um and you draw you draw as well don't you I, or, yeah there's or, a yeah. Cu- there's a couple in the book that <laughs> fair play to dominic he's let me have a couple of them in the book so he is clearly the primary illustrator he's the main one but you know we would talk about concepts together um so the, the anaconda mortgage is actually my picture um so i sat there for for a long time drawing every little scale and stuff on 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 the um uh, on the paper before then putting tracing paper on as he said and then then giving it to him and then he did his magic with it um so it's it was a learning curve but for me i'm more about let's look for the ridiculous stories let's look for the serious stories and try and figure out a way to make them more relatable so you know I was reading a lot of Investopedia the OED even Wikipedia as a starting point um and just you know even paper you know a lot of papers and stuff to try and figure out is this actually a thing or was this actually a thing um how can I use it to make it relatable for example guinea pig directors that's pretty cool because yes it's not necessarily about the the creature the guinea pig but it was about the fact that you know you've got the guinea um, back in the back in the day and the director would put a guinea in um, and sort of be like a silent director as it were and now to make it more relatable you're thinking about sort of non-executive directors so it's something that that you take from an old older term and, and make it far more relatable so that you can understand yeah. words that are used regularly but yeah you yeah. know we, we we got like skunk works for example uh, Dominic's illustrator skunk works um what's he got he's got a steampunk skunk work so you know it's a skunk and all these like designer steampunky gear um looking like it's you know like this engineering marvel and that's really interesting because the term skunk, skunk works first originated from Lockheed Martin when they had this experimental group in the, in the war um, and now lots of other organizations have these little experimental groups and you know when people are trying to be creative and say they're trying to collaborate they'll go off and they'll create a group and you'll be like oh so this is the skunk works so that was the whole intention is just to make business a bit more fun um and just bring financial literacy to people in a in a different way but it took a long time it took like four years yeah. you know I don't have an agent so I had to do it do it by myself approach publishers find the right publisher we're very lucky that we have Portico um which is through Pavilion Publishing and they they took it up that they were able to experiment with us in that respect and yeah lockdown did happen so now it's learning how to tell people about it and say look we have this fun book that you know people like Sir David Attenborough said that he could potentially learn something from our our, our little yeah, field guide that. very great <laughs> well that's the thing having like um environmentalists think that it's it's very useful for me is really great because you're going beyond that traditional business market so there's going to be people who look at it and go yeah I know about you know bear markets I know that a bear market goes down and and actually I quite like illustrations for me it's fun but then you've got other people like it's in school libraries at the moment it's in it's in other libraries where they'll be able to pick it up look at the picture of the bear but then learn that you know a bear market is is about um the markets and securities going down in the same way that a bear swats its pet its pears swats its paws down now that's pretty cool because that means you're going to remember that and a bear market yeah. turns up in the papers all the time in fact I learned that Google um on google search trends so when the pandemic was kicking off like it had record hits for for the term bear markets that people were trying to figure out what on earth one was because you know the markets were falling at uh, at that point so it's the intention was just for other people like me who who start off and have heard terms but don't necessarily know what they mean but don't yeah. want to necessarily look stupid uh you know mm-hmm they'll be able to pick up this book it's very small i don't know if this is a thing with books i mean you're you know you're very much involved in books at the moment i don't know if they're getting smaller it's a very it's a relatively small book it's a it's it can fit in your purse and in your in your bag um and it's very good quality and they can just pick it up and be like aha let me turn to page about bear markets let me turn to the page about the piggy bank you know and learn something new like the piggy bank was originated in 1450 
came from the word pig, which was P-Y-G-G, I think, and was an earthenware pot. And from there, then, you know, designers then fashioned it in the way, um, in the manner of an actual pig. That's really cool. And It is, yeah. And it's it's interesting to sort of, I had no idea there were so many animal terms um, in the business world or in the finance world. There's actually a coffee shop near where I work called Bear Market. Um, and I never knew, I never thought about what it meant. Uh, um, I'm not sure if they, what, what the link is there but um yeah these terms like a lot of these terms are around and you just I mean if you're not in the financial world um they make might not make any sense mm. but the thing um, that's really important is it even if like I said, if you're not even in the financial world that's okay you don't have to be immersed mm-hmm. in it it's not the industry for everybody but it's going to affect you you know if you've got a pension and a lot of people you know now it's mandatory to have a pension pension if you've got a pension do you not want to know what sort of investors are investing the money that's gone into your pension is it a meerkat investor so someone who's constantly popping up and keeping an eye like every yeah every so often like with their little paws up or is it an ostrich investor who even though it's a myth that ostriches put their head you know head in their sands to avoid things the, the terminology has continued is it an ostrich investor who's who doesn't really want to know so much is that the sort of investor that you want to be and I think you know when I first started thinking about investments or thinking about money and stuff I'd be like oh no I literally would make that weird noise and I think a lot of other people would make that weird noise yeah but then when you take those terms and relate it to um to your own life so that element of nature it's so much less scary because you're like oh actually hold on a minute do I want to be an owl investor and you know all very savvy or or actually maybe I do want to keep a, a constant alert maybe yeah I do want to be the meerkat and be quite hyper hyper alert on it but maybe I want to be a peacock and be all like puffy I don't I don't know <laughs> you know but that's the whole that's the intention. I mean, for me, the beauty of the book is that loads of parents have been sending me pictures of their kids and you've got like from four-year-olds all the, all the, you know, up to teenagers. They don't need to know about the words. They don't need to know about securities or commodities or anything like that. But if they're exposed to a book like we have, which is very illustrative in the first instance at a very young age, does that not mean that they're going to be less scared about business terms that, in fact, because they'll have seen that book and they'll have had it at home or in the library, you know, where they've been able to access it, um, they'll be able to pick it up and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I know what they're talking about with a bear market. You know, when I was a kid, I remember one of the options was business studies, GCSE. I don't know if they still do it now, but one of the op- options was learning about business studies. And I remember being like, you know, in my teens and being like, business? Oh, no, I don't do business. I don't know anything about it. But everything that we do has an element of business in it at the end of the day, even if it's not transactional. And I think that is where there's perhaps a lot of gap when it comes to financial education that people don't realise that it doesn't matter um, in terms of how the world operates around us. If we can be less scared and there are ways to be able to be less scared, then then that's what we should be heading for. And that was only ever the intention with the book, to be honest. As I said, I can't go around saying I'm a business expert and a finance expert. What I am is a able to tell you that there are animals in finance expert um and there's more than you, you the found book. the fun part the only fun part of it yeah. I was going to actually say about when I first saw your book I thought I thought it was for kids um so obviously the cover is very, it looks like a, a picture book and then uh we, there is a series called uh, baby university so they do like um physics for babies and they do um quantum mechanics for babies and they have 
like similar to what you're doing just introducing these ideas um, and these have lovely pictures so the kids can look at it and the parents will read little it, it tells a story and it's still very confusing at the end but like you say they don't need to read everything they just need to see it and, and it's it's for it's you know making those connections um from an early age I think as well mm-hmm. but that's the thing it's like short I mean you know the you've got a page not even a page actually per animal sometimes you've got like is it what a paragraph I've put Mm. in just as a starter guide so they're very very short so there's no way it's intended to be a sort of this is going to be the be all and end all and ever you know the reference point forevermore for for creatures no it's just like here these are terms that come that you should be aware of we've even got things like milkshake duck you know and the milkshake duck the reason why we put that in because that's a very new term and that uh, references the fact that people will become um, super famous or they'll be in the eye of a media storm, for example. Um, but then, and, you know, it's because they've done something really great or, or or brilliant. But then what then happens is that that element of cancel culture as, as, as keeps being discussed right now. And so, you know, for me, I'm like, a milkshake duck is... Um, and and then and you know people be like oh they've done something bad in their past and, and therefore we've got to tell them to to go away, but for me it was important to include terms like that because those are the sort of terms that are going to just keep popping up. So they're relatively new to us. Mm-hmm. They've only come up in the past couple of years. But for these you know for our younger readers, they're things that I think are going to constantly they'll want to refer back to again and again in terms of knowing the origin story or or, or how they came about. And I think that's really important yeah. that that we reflect that. But also what's really important is just to make sure that we're, ver- you know, we were verifying as much as we could of some of, you know, these stories and, and how they originated. Because a lot of people, even those who know, they don't know the origin stories. You know, they'll say it, like I said, with the bear markets and bull markets. And one of the origin stories is that it's because um, the traders would see the bears and bulls uh, pitted against each other in staged fights as they were heading in uh, to the to a day at the office. I mean, we're in this pandemic world at the moment. Um, who knows what other animal terms are going to te- uh, appear? I do think that personally, as a storyteller, and, and you touched upon it before as well, that it's super serious right now and something like this is absurd i mean it's serious but it's got that element of ridiculousness to it as well and i think people really need to have that in order to be able to sort of gain attention you know it's short it's one would hope i think it's witty mm-hmm. um but it's also got that element of of being absurd yeah, it's digestible it's a giving us a language it's interesting it's visual we we i think a lot of us are very um maybe we have brain fog. It's hard to take in a lot at the moment. So we bite-sized is really handy. That's exactly it. Do you have a favourite uh, term at all? Well, this is very naughty. I love wolves, but I've always loved wolves ever since I was a kid. Like, White Fang is, is, opens up so many doors. So White Fang by Jack London opened up many, many doors to me. So I was adamant that we had to have the wolves in it. Like, because you've got... Oh, this is the thing that was brilliant. Because you've heard of the Wolf of Wall Street... Um, Jordan Belfort, who has actually wasn't the first Wolf of Wall Street. There was um, another guy who was a con man who, actually off the top of my head, I need to go back to refer to the book, which is why it's there, um, who you know, was the original Wolf of Wall Street. So again, it's it's that sort of term. But you've got the Wolf of Wall Street. Then you also have the fact, um, and I love finding this out, that Mongolia, um, there is a movement to try and get Mongolia to be called the Wolf Economy. Um, and that's because it has a huge, um, the country has huge resonance with the wolf itself. In fact, they believe the um, the the country is descended from, from a wolf, as it were. So there are lots of different 
factors um factors there as well and yeah so for me the wolf is brilliant and what dominic has, has drawn in this instance is we've got the wolf and i'm pretty sure that he's got like little sheep on his tie i mean i've definitely seen a version where he's got sheep on his tie and he's against like a, a brick wall so you've got the wolf of wall street so he can be very literal in his illustration so that yeah i, I like the wolf very much um yeah, it's just quite fun. Great. So we've also got lots of different type of investors in the book, um, and one of them is a stag, and we've got a picture of a stag, um, basically having a bit of a run, a bit of a gallop, and it's got money bags uh, on it, so it's against a purple backdrop. But in terms of the text, we've got a stag is an impatient investor. When a company goes public, it is listed on the stock exchange, and shares are offered to be bought and sold. A stag does not hang around to see how things pan out, as they'll have bought shares prior to public trading and then sell them straight away. It's a strategy that is no nonsense and fast moving. A stag likes hot deals and quick profits. Oh, Bambi, is this what you'll grow up to be? What is quite funny is that, you know, as we do talk to people and as we do do more research, you do find out that uh, in other countries, for example, there are other phrases that are used um, uh, in different languages. Um, the things have translated, like in Germany, for example, I only found out that, oh gosh, I can't actually remember the, the German for it, so I need to go back and check, which I feel a bit guilty about. But um, so where you have vultures, so you know vultures, uh, 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 people who, like you have vulture investors who go in and and you know get distressed fund, uh, get dist- uh, distressed companies, for example, and then basically make a profit out of them. Um, they have like a, in Germany they call them locusts, the the German version of locusts. Mm-hmm. So you see that as you travel the world there are there are differing phrases in that respect we discovered that pig in a poke has um is is medieval in origin and it actually goes back to um does it go back to it basically means you know you've got to be careful about what you're you you think you're buying like you need to check what's in your poke the poke was a bag you know is that actually a pig or something and again in different countries across different cultures they have their own animal forms of, of what the pig in the poke is and so that's really really interesting yeah. that, so I think we're sort of looking I guess at that. It, it might go back to like the markets when people would trade animals and uh, I guess animals were currency um this is probably yeah, yeah started there and Aesop <laughs> Aesop and his fables my lordy a lot seems to be originating from yeah. Aesop and his fables and how that's then again been translated not just in English but across countries you know it's I've done I'd I like doing You're it. So yeah, I, and the thing is, it's being able to tell people, and it's fun, and people don't people yeah. love talking about animals. At the end of the day, you know, that's they one do, subject yeah. that's just not boring. So maybe we'll we'll uh, move on to your stories that you've chosen today. So um, you mentioned that you do a lot of work with COVID, um, and it must be quite taxing. You were saying you do a lot of death calls, or you're talking to people who've lost people, or, or dealing with grief and bereavement. Um, and you said that as a sort of, as, as as we mentioned as well, you've brain fog, as I do. Uh, so you find short stories um, really accessible and, and and something to sort of comfort you or as an escape from, from the daily slog. But um, maybe you talk about why you chose short stories and and how what you like about them. Sure. So with short stories, I've realised that every time I'm having a moment of... of a junction moment, a junction moment when you're like going, oh, now what's happening? Or it feels a little bit lost. And, and I think in the pandemic, a lot of storytellers can feel very much like, what what can we do now? What can we, we how can we navigate this? I mean, anybody, don't, you don't even have to be a storyteller. But for me personally, I've, having looked back, it's like every time I have this weird moment, short stories come to to play. 
I think that's probably the best way to put it. They come to play. Yes. They come to play with my brain. Um, um, and I find them, yeah, and, and they're not easy. I think anyone who's a short story writer definitely has a significant skill in being able to do it. In fact, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to my friend Manuela. Man- Manuela Saragossa is a short story writer. She also works at the BBC, but this is what she does in her other time. And now having gone back to, you know, the, sto- the stories that have, made me think more I have even more respect than I did before I, ha- I have a lot of respect for it, but even more to take on that form because you've got a yeah. tiny you've got a smaller space you know smaller than a, mm-hmm. and you have to fill a lot in there and so that the reader still goes away feeling I hope how can I say this I never feel fulfilled when I read a short story because it makes me think differently like it makes me go and it's just ended yeah and you're yes. kind of still in that world yes yeah, it's yeah. more abrupt where sometimes when you've got novels and, and a much longer thing you're like you, you can have that period of like oh let me take a d- deep breath now but with the short stories that keep coming back to me that you know I don't know whether it's magic or something or whether it's pixies or something or mm. whatever you know I'll I might not have seen them for ages these collections and yeah. then they'll just appear in in the bookshelf they're probably you know I just I've missed them you know and they'll come back at the time yeah. in which I need them and I, I I find that those particular stories not every story in a collection like I have collections but it's like particular stories within them are the ones that I'll go back to and at the moment I mean if I pick I'm just gonna pick one so you know I've got Haruka Murakami his birthday letters so I've been going back mm-hmm. and I I can't say that I like every story in, in the birthday letters collection but what I do like at the moment so while the mm-hmm. pandemic's going on, there's two particular stories. Is one by Russell Banks, which is um, The Moor. Um, and it's a, about a guy who had an affair with an older married lover and then has like this chance encounter um, with her years and later. So he's in a restaurant and he sees her and then they spend some time together. And so they're having sort of that, I guess, that that bit of closure. You know, that's it happens many, many, many years later. But the dialogue is, I think, about closure that, you know, he had this affair, doesn't see her for ages, um, you know, who knows what happens. And that happens with lots of, you know, people necessarily in terms of their relationships. But then he sees her again. And what I find interesting with that particular story and why I think I keep going back to it is because, you know, we are in a social world and connections, you know, you've got Facebook and, you, and you've got LinkedIn and all that. You don't have that anymore. You know, like people remain in your lives. Like you might not be speaking mm-hmm. to them, but they still see what you're doing or what you're up to if you're still connected yeah. with them in in social and I think because I've been doing a lot of the pandemic storytelling and we've been um you know you're thinking about tributes and stuff and you're thinking about um you know who are the connections that you have and what would people say about you in terms of the relationship that you had and the imprint that you made in them and I thought for me that's why I really like I think that's why I'm gravitating towards it a lot more and in fact there's another short story collection which I'll talk about in a bit which is doing the exact same thing but in a in a more intense manner that that makes me burn. God, that sounds very dramatic. Um, you know, I mean, I can talk about that now and, and come back to birthday letters, but in fact, I probably should. I like some. In fact, I I oh, put, yeah. so I put out on social media just saying, oh, I'm doing a project about short stories. I saw yeah, because yeah, I was I was like excited. Well, something it's worth asking people what they think in order to build your brain. And and in fact, um, some like. <laughs> you know somebody came back to me and said have you read some and I'm like some's in my top five books ever ever like I read it all the time so I was gifted it by by a friend and in fact I gifted it to other people as well and it hurts my brain so it's by this neuroscientist David Eagleman it's a collection of short stories um all about the afterlife and what happens after death and yeah clearly I'm gravitating towards that now constantly because I'm talking about death again and again and again and again um 
But it makes me think it's like, you know, what happens with your body, you know, what happens with your soul afterwards? Like, you know, th there are some stories where, you know, if God lived among us, how do, how do we deal with that? You know, if if God was there and then disappeared, how do humans cope? And, and, and you know, what if you got to choose when you died? And I think, again, because of pandemic, because coronavirus is not, a, it's not a good death. It's it's a it's it's a harsh death. Like you know, we've just had a, a relative pass actually, you know, and and it was I'm not sorry. her. But it was it, it wouldn't. It, you would think, although you never know. You know, it shouldn't have been her time at that point. And mm. and that makes you think. It's like, well, what is this pandemic doing to us in terms of how we're dealing with death? And that's why I really like short stories in that I'm not having to deal with them in a journalistic manner in that respect. Mm -hmm. So there's able to sort of take that distance, but at the same time, your brain. My brain definitely is connecting, and what I love about some, and I love before, because I've had it many, many, many years. It's not, it's not necessarily a new book. You can tell he's a neuroscientist. You can tell that everything is deliberate, and there are connections being made between every single concept. And when I, I remember when I was given this book, my brain hurt after reading it. Like you, I have to take mm -hmm. a break from 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 this book. But, just sort of mind blown by the ideas and yeah, yeah but yet you know at the same time when you think about them there are your mind might be blown but they are simple concepts because you know isn't this what theology is isn't this what people do talk about like you know the afterlife even now so i was watching um soul the the the, the new pixar film that's just come out and clearly pixar are masters of, of the short story in, in visual form and and soul does talk about you know death and, and the afterlife so you see this this theme is not an original theme in that respect but it's interesting how it then gets applied. And I think what I love about short stories, and, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you, you know, love to hear your take on that as well, is that they build a foundation. And the fact that you have that abrupt ending, I think is really fascinating because you try and fill that gap of the abrupt ending. And that's definitely mm -hmm. what I have with, with some and, and, you know, all of the stories within some. It's a, And it's a very small book. It's... Yeah, I hadn't actually heard of it, and now, like, since you, you suggested, I was looking into it, and I've seen lots of people recommending it. It seems um, really original idea. It kind of reminded me of Black Mirror, that kind of um, alternative reality or alternative ideas um, that seem so obvious when you read, like, when you hear about them. You're like, oh, I can't believe, like, no one's done that before. Like, it seems like a really original um, collection. Mm, it so I definitely want to read it. Um, and I think with his science background as well, that's a really interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe there are lots of science writers that that write creatively like that, but it's it's a really interesting premise as well. But that's the thing; it gets us started. And so again, when I put that note out yeah. on social media, just saying, "Tell me, you know, what short stories are you reading?" For me, that was brilliant because I also know that will prompt others to think about what they've been reading more recently, and you know how we can take those stories that are from the past and. And reflect them to 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 what's going on now, and adapt and and accordingly. I mean, they, it's not comfort. It's not comfort. I don't find it's weird. It's, I'm trying to think what what is the right term. You know, there's probably some sort of literary term for it. But on one hand, it's uncomfort reading. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the best way of putting it. Yeah. You know, I think if it was discomfort, discomfort is the word. It, every story was comforting. It would they'd be kind of too twee or something. Like you kind of need. I think a good short story tells, you know, an emotion really well or like uh, an experience really well. So you really feel like it, 
it's told it so truthfully or something. And it can feel abrupt maybe because it's not a complete story. It's it's just a snapshot of this particular event or emotion. And then it ends. Um, and you're, you're left with, you fill in the blanks for yourself or maybe for the story. Um, I did read a good quote. It's, I, mean, I think it's quite famous. The iceberg theory. Uh, I think it might have been Hemingway. He believed that the deeper meaning of a story should not be evident on the surface, but should shine through. So he says, if a writer of prose knows enough of what he is writing, writing about, he may omit the things that he knows. And the reader, if the writer is writing truly enough, will have a feeling of those things as strongly as though the writer had stated them. The dignity of movement of an iceberg is due only to one eighth of it being above the water. A writer who omits things because he does not know them only makes hollow places in his writing. So I thought that was quite nice. So like there, even though it's a snapshot that the writer almost, he knows the truth behind the story. So he or she, so he's, by omitting it, it's still there and you, and you relate to it and you know that it's true because there's a, there's a, you know, the intention is there, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, I didn't know that quote. That's a beautiful quote, actually. Um, Yeah, it's, they're giving us, you know, it's a gift. At the end of the day, here is a gift. Mm -hmm. Do with it, this is our vision for the gift, but do with it what you need. Do with it what, what fulfills you. But as I said, but without fulfilling you, because it's, Mm -hmm. it is that discomfort. And I I think that's really important. And that's why I love about, I, thought, I mean, I say I love about it. That's why I, I think I return to these stories again and again. I mean, there's another one. If I go back to birthday letters and go back full circle, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the intro, what Murakami says, and I thought this was really interesting, is that um, so he translated this, the collection of birthday letters into Japanese before the English version came out. And he and they were many of them were English stories in the first instance. But, you know, he talks about his birthday and, you know, he says... Um, it's the birthday basically it's about having a soft natural bond with the world it's a special bond that people feel with each other when they know that one of them is celebrating his or her birthday and i thought that's completely correct and that's why he pulled together the collection because he hadn't he hadn't come across a collection like that but then what was also really important he's he's he says and you know um he, as he was curating that collection he found that the, most of the birthday stories tend to be quite gloomy and i was like yes <laughs> yes and i thank god that you said that because you know happy birthday it's supposed to be celebratory but when you look at these the fact you know you've got a, this genius and murakami you know he's a genius even he is saying like in his collection and his curation that you know everyone's a bit miserable that that's that's it helps yeah, it's a strange thing at birthday not everyone i mean for our kids <laughs> Um, not everyone loves their own birthday and, and they probably there's such high expectation of it or may, maybe makes you think about your mortality or, or what you haven't achieved or so it can be fraught you know but even as a writer you know he's like that's what you're looking for is you know as a journalist you know it is that element of gloom and you know I've, I've been doing trauma journalism in the past and I remember in one of my training there was a note where you know if it bleeds it leads and that, that used to be the 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 go-to now there was a huge sort of move towards solutions journalism and positive journalism in that respect but it's the same with writing if you know even if you become a journalist you'll have started off reading like and devouring what you can and a lot of it is very negative let's face it like apart from maybe the children's books but even then some of them can be quite yeah you know <laughs> quite hardcore and quite sharp yeah, yeah. and they are the let's face it they're the epitome of short stories you, you know you cannot take that away right for children you can write you 
I think you can write for anybody if you can write for children. They're the most discerning and hardest audience in which to, to be able to write for. But I found it fascinating when I read, you know, I went back and I read that intro, especially for him to have said that. And it did make me think about the selections in a different way because, you know... Yeah, because you were seeing the cover, the big bow, like you would think... Oh, this is a lovely, you know, book of stories. <laughs> but yeah, well, I got—I was yeah. given it as a birthday gift. My friend Lucy gave it to me, like, and you know, she won't want to make me feel miserable. Like, she's she's also an, um, uh, fascinated by stories, but reading it. But for me, it has been an amazing gift because, as I said, it makes me think differently. Like, there's one story again. I come back to it again and again. It's called The Birthday Cake by Daniel Lyons. Um, and it's written in dialogue. And it's about this old woman. Like, you don't need to remember every single element again. But this old woman, you know, she goes and she expects her regular cake that she gets all the time. And then there's a conflict, though, um, where somebody else wants her cake because, you know, there's a single mother and she needs her cake. Her daughter's having a birthday. So what happens next? Is, old, is the older woman going to give up her cake? why you know why yeah. it's that whole thing where you don't want to give too much away because it's only a short story <laughs> i've actually read that one yeah, yeah it's it's um brain my yeah, brain hurts it's dark it's a bit dark but it's yeah sad it's really sad yeah. but at the same time you're like who yeah. do you have your sympathy you know you, yeah there's so much there yeah you want to think do i want to give her all my sympathy no I'm, i she seems like a very insu- unsympathetic character and i think when you read mm. stories around characters who initially seem very unsympathetic i would hope that the takeaways would always be to to think about compassion and to think about that which is behind the behaviour that makes them uh, the person, whether it's in real life, beyond the stories as well, in terms of the characters that you come across in your journey, you know, what is it that's actually driving them? Because we can't always know, like, why Mm -hmm. some people are um, not nice, perhaps. And actually, you um, mentioning that there is a great, it's not really a short story, it's a speech, but it's by David Foster Wallace, who has one of... um, short stories in, in the birthday book as well which I've read uh he wrote it's called this is water and he does a a speech for I think it's a co- college address for a graduate in America um he's he's since passed away but he, he wrote this amazing speech and it's about it you should look it up I think they've made it into a little book as well it's 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 quite um very like accessible and it it just talks about how you never know what someone else is going through but it kind of talks about like that person that cuts in front of you in traffic or the person in the the uh shopping line that's taking ages with their chain their sorry their change um you know you don't know that's that may be the only day they've come out this week because they're caring for someone terminally ill at home or it's just uh it sounds a bit um uh cheesy but it's not at all it's it's really it's a, it's a really great story, but it's about you don't know their background, you don't know their day, and to kind of come at it from that angle, I guess lead with love is a much sort of better way of of conducting yourself, uh, and better for your own sanity and and blood pressure as I well. I think I think you're mm-hmm. very right. I mean, this is the thing. I you know, for me, those stories because of the fact that we have little ca- mental capacity is is reduced right now. Like for me, definitely. You know, and so, you know, I'm not going to sit there and read your war and peace because I can't, I can't do it. I'm tired. Yeah. But at the same time, um, the stories generally tend to be quite intellect, still are intellectual, like not in a off-putting way, but just a bit like I'm going to give you something to think about. And I think that's why, again, I think the short story is really important. I mean, one of the other ones, you know, that I think... No, I think I go back to again and again and again. Ever since I was like nine, I don't even understand where this... I think my dad must have got it from someone just sort of left it in my room or something. Like Calvino. So, you know, 
Italia Italia. Calvino, Under the Jaguar Sun. So this is his unfinished selection of short stories before he passed. My gosh, you know, from when you're being like a, a, a child to then every moment of, you know, I remember being at university and again, the book just coming back my way, like um, it, it makes a difference. And now I'm, I'm, it's come back to me again. So every time I'm at a moment of, of confusion, I've got like, so under the Jaguar Sun, you've got three stories, you know, you've got a king, um, under the Jaguar Sun itself, uh, which is a very sensual story. That's the one I return to again and again, and it's based in Oaxaca. Um, what I love love is that he's you know spells out what Oaxaca is, um, you know how you pronounce it. But it's about a couple, um, and it's again about relationships. And you know they seem to have quite a dry relationship at first, but this trip is bringing them together, but in a very sort of sensual manner, um, and in a very sort of food related manner so they're they're rediscovering each other through mm-hmm. food they're rediscovering the world through food and I think right now what's really interesting is that because I'm thinking about the pandemic a lot and one of the things that you lose if you get coronavirus is your um is potentially is your loss of uh taste and smell oh, yeah, yeah. It's, so to then read a story like that and to be sort of marrying the two is really fascinating but it's like you know it's about relationships, but it's about senses. It's about looking at food in a different way. It's about, you know, how can how can stuff bring you together? And for me, when I'm looking... I think because I'm just constantly thinking about the pandemic, being able to return to something that has meant different things to me throughout the years for different reasons, you know, when I've had very difficult moments in my life, to it's a rooting story. Here you go. It's a story that roots you because he is literally taking every sense that you have, every single taste, every single word, and bringing that learning, that learned behaviour of, of how to eat back to you. And I think it's fascinating. And part of me wants to just give you, like, I wasn't even going to do that. Like, can we read a sentence? Yeah. Because it's just... You should, yeah, yeah. It sounds like my, mindful it's eating just, or something. Oh, it my gosh. It just, like, it's just such a sensual read that it just makes me go, what the... From one locality to the next, the gastronomic lexicon varied, always offering new terms to be recorded and new sensations to be defined. Instead, we found guacamole to be scooped up with crisp tortillas that snap into many shards and dip like spoons into the thick cream. I mean, that's I mean, that's not even a huge, clearly, proportion of, of the story, but can you hear that? You can yeah. visualise it, you can paint it. And that's why yeah, Calvino, yeah. I mean, even beyond the, the short stories, that's why Calvino is amazing. And right now, when it's very easy to feel slightly disassociated, to be rooted in that manner normally when I'm doing anything around trauma journalism you know you try and get soil and put your hand in soil to bring you back and this this the, yeah, this short story is that equivalent yeah. as far as I'm concerned because of the way he's so smart with the words um and there are words that I have to go and get the dictionary for yeah. even now because I've forgotten what they mean you know that that it's a very sort of yeah, learner yeah. journey in that respect. And then there's another one which, I mean, I don't really like the name The Know so much, it's the third one, but the second one is a, called A King Listens and it's like about a king who's aloft and alone and it's very mindful and he's like listening. So again, it's a very sensual book in that respect. You know, no word is me- wasted. And if you read that story, it makes you look at things in a different way. Like you're very particular about your language. And right now, again, when it's so easy to to feel isolated, and alone, much like this king who is in charge of everything and anybody in his kingdom, you know, how does he know what's going around? In this pandemic, a lot of us are working from, you know, people who can are working from home perhaps, but they might be working, right now I'm working in my bedroom. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a small space in which I have. You know, it's very, it's strange not to be with my, um, my peers in that respect. It takes a lot of effort to make connections. I mean, you know, 
we see that podcast podcast listening is on the rise, and it's probably because people need to hear voices, need to hear what society is like, need to have what's around them. And for me, again, this particular short story in Calvino with with a king listens. I'm not a king. I'm nowhere near a king. But it gives me that sort of sense of I'm isolated. But what's going on? What's happening? How can we utilize that? And that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's connectivity. And that's something I think we all need right now. It's what you need. I mean, the other thing is, I think a lot of people. I mean, I'm just going to. I didn't get. Sort of, I didn't. I don't think I told you this one too much because I only just came across it. So in fact, I'm um, going to have a conversation with the author at some point this year. But you know, so my good. My background is is Gujarati. My family is Gujarati, and so I've just picked up this book that I, I bought as part of my sort of reading you know, something new because we're talking about short stories. And, you know, it's called Ratna Dolly, the best stories of... Um, the, I see, I'm hoping to pronounce this correct. The best stories of Dumketu. So Ratna Dolly, the best stories of Dumketu. And that was translated from the Gujarati by a woman called Jenny Bath, an author called Jenny Bath. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm only getting into it at the moment. I'm only reading it at the moment. And, and it's interesting because, like, these are supposed to be... These are very famous short stories. And as someone who's got Gujarati Kenyan background... I'm very new to them. So I mm. so I think that's the other thing a lot of people are also doing, apart from me, is trying to figure out their identities as well in this time. Like, you know, who am I? What's going on? What's my history? What's my heritage? And for me, there's a particular short story. There's a lot of short stories in here. I'm only going through it at the moment. But, you know, there's one which she says is particularly famous. It's called um, The Postmaster, I think. Um, and it's heartbreaking. You know, this guy's basically waiting for his daughter to write him a letter. So he keeps going to the post office. Now, post office is one of the sort of key places that pe- that people are reliant at the moment. I love writing letters. Like, you know, yeah, I have this kind of a little start, isn't it? Yeah, really. I have this reputation. But what happens when you're waiting for somebody to write your letter, your loved one, and and they never write back? You know, or you you don't know if they're ever going to write back. But you're so dedicated to it. And for me, that was really like reading that now and reading you know Jenny's translation of it. I was like, why? Has this story not been in my life before? Because it is about connections. And and it is about, you know, somewhere that my family one time ago, you know, I am Gujarati that, that we would have come from, you know. It's really interesting. There's another one called Mungo Gungo. I think, again, I'm, you know, again, I'm hoping perhaps it's right. And it's about a disabled beggar who then becomes like this wondrous swimmer. Um, you know, it's all about fortunes changing. And then it's a story, I think, of expectations. So... Mm-hmm. For me, I wish I actually had much better language skills than I do right now to be able to read these in 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 the original. I mean, the yeah. translation is beautiful, but there comes a moment with these short stories where you think, I need to open up more doors. And for me, personally, in the pandemic, if things like this can, can tap into that creativity block, which I have had to face, and I think others who are perhaps constantly, you know, I've been describing Ideas Factory before, constantly like that, and then having to reset Mm-hmm. it's 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 i need that do you i mean i don't yeah. know if you're having that where you need you're trying to find your key again to yeah definitely well like um in the libraries we're constantly changing what we're doing as well so we're, we're adjusting adapting um it's been we've been working through the whole pandemic so we've been doing lots of outreach and we've been running a community helpline um covid line uh, for people who need to get deliveries of books and drugs and food and maybe their ice, their cocooning, that kind of thing. Then we were also doing a book drop service, a book collection service, and then we're moving everything online as well. Uh, so we're doing all our book clubs online, obviously I'm doing podcasts, working with facilitators to promote events online. So it's it's 
um I do have a background in media stuff so it's been kind of nice for me um but it if as a whole it's been you know challenging to figure out like where do we stand um how are we still an institution without being open and letting people see the physical books um so we're trying to sort of navigate that sort of um virtual and physical worlds but then yeah uh, I suppose talking creatively for myself we've shared this a little bit in our emails that we I like to write as well so it's kind of trying to find the time not I have the time <laughs> trying to find you know be inspired or um get into the groove of writing which I find really hard at the moment uh, like you, you kind of do your your work and your research and then you kind of just feel like you know I don't even have the patience to watch TV shows sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it can be it's, hard. It's difficult. I mean, it's only, I mean, I've been engrossed in this, um, a, a Netflix BBC co-production called The Serpent. That has been my one bit, like it's going to, um, yeah. and it's been very old fashioned watching where like every Sunday night sit down and watch. And that's like, the, the storytelling is really gripping. But, you know, again, it's been very hard to find time to read, to write, to, to do the usual elements not because necessarily the time but as you say whatever it is in our brains that the, the motivation the mojo yeah as it were that's that's the difficult bit and yeah. in fact that probably brings to the you know the other one I sort of raised with you because again I only came up okay I found that while I was in the pandemic is on Instagram you know uh there's a guy called James Miller who who has a a small fiction and so having kept just you know as I'm doom scrolling as they call it as I've been going through the Instagram accounts um I like the way that he writes which you know it's only like three sentences I like his short stories because they're short and absurd that I went and bought the book especially because I like the Instagram post because I don't have to think too much but at the same time they give enough to think and not all my friends like like not everybody I know is a big fan like I have them like look at this what do you think and 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 read out some of them and they're like no that's not not for them which is absolutely fine but for me it's like I need short snippets yeah I I don't have to think heavy work during the day and you're like it's not like you're you're spaced out like you're doing a lot yeah but at the same time you do want to sort of think beyond and um I might I might read just one of like yeah, one do. of them because you know if I was saying that like I said I was into my friend he just went what what what, what are you doing <laughs> I went okay I, I liked it um but you know James he's doing very well this inst- and I think that there are a lot of actual poets and writers on on these platforms and in fact you know Brian Bilston is one of them he, he's an amazing writer who sort of emerged from from social media and, and is very funny um and so I go to him quite regularly but this this I like because it's just it's also it can be quite miserable as well but in a funny way you know his future branched ahead a tree of possibility with each failure a branch was severed pruned he hoped so better things could grow <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <it>. yeah <laughs> So thanks, James. Uh, you know James Mark Miller from a small fiction, but th- that's it. But it's like they're kind of true. punchy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are like poof. Here you go. And I'm like, oh, okay then. That's that's, that's great. But thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I keep quoting Hemingway. I think well, I just did a podcast on Hemingway, but um, he he has a famous short story, six words: uh, "For sale, baby shoes never worn," um, which yeah. is obviously sad. But did did you do something like that? You said you. I yeah so I'm <laughs> putting you on the spot now. <laughs> right. so quite a while so sometimes I like to do things out of my comfort zone so this is actually quite a while ago but I'm in um there's a six word series that the um gosh I can't remember the actual name of the editor um and I don't know what I was I was just like oh you know they were looking for 
it's it's like six short six word series and it's like you know famous writers and obscure writers so clearly at that point I'm a very obscure writer um <laughs> and my six word selection I think was something like thou shalt not forget social media that was it six words of advice so that was my <laughs> that was mine and that and that ended up in the book and they actually sent me a copy of the book and I was like oh wow that's the brilliant. you know first time I've actually been in a book yeah. so it's somewhere that's <laughs> um, brilliant. and it's funny because I do well you know I do social media so there's that and then I had um I wrote a short story again it's about getting out of comfort zones and and trying for different things and maybe now is the time for people to, to potentially do that so uh 2018 I think it was um so a couple of years ago um there was a carers UK competition for for people involved in in care and and at that point um they used to run a, I don't know if they still are at the moment they ran a regular creative writing competition and so I had ideas in my head and so I thought you know what I'll just try something a little bit again out of my usual writing and so I pulled together a very a short story um called Homeward Bound um and it was using numbers so using time to to mark like the 15 minutes as to to what could happen and it was based on on experiences that I'd had you know between coming home from the commute which you know is clearly a different ball game now coming home from the commute and then getting home and then actually um then Amazing. Uh, this cup of tea has just materialized <laughs> this is this is what it's like i was like coming home this is actually it, it, it relates so my we've got quite a tight-knit family so what's just happened is my dad's opened my door and just put a cup of tea in which i wasn't so expecting nice. this hand I didn't, just I just, came into shark with a tea I, I, I didn't i think it's because yeah i didn't actually ask for a tea but yeah this has happened before on schools like, because he's making one he'll just like make um yeah, offer funny. one as well so he's given me a cup of tea that I wasn't asking for that's really sweet but yeah this is the thing so going back to the carers thing so as my dad has had a kidney transplant so right now he's clinically vulnerable so clearly that's a lot of um challenges uh having to to factor in and you know um it's also one of the reasons you know i am grateful to the nhs etc etc but in this particular instance it was came across carers uk they had a creative writing competition i thought why not it isn't easy doing care to be perfectly frank with you you have to do a lot of um admin work you have to uh factoring a lot more on top of I guess daily life and and so maybe having experienced it myself it gives me a lot more compassion for 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 those sort of stories and this instance so what I did was um try to use the skills that I had and took that moment where and I think I know I know a lot of people are in the same boat where you will be doing a full-time job for example but then you will have um Everyone has additional challenges at home. It's not even you or everybody has, you know, people's challenges are different, whether it's their own stuff, whether it's uh, caring for others, whether it's volunteered, it doesn't matter. Everybody has something. And so I was factoring in that moment when you're moving between chapters, as it were. So when you're moving from one part of your life to another, like, how do you make that moment? How, how do you count down to that moment? So I physically, in the piece that I wrote, uh, wrote about, you know, 15 minutes at 15 minutes this happens at 14 minutes we're now heading towards this so yeah some of it was based in real life but it was I converted it to fiction and it was all about observation um you know that moment that sometimes yeah you will wipe away a tear because you've got that pressures of one thing gone gone you know you've boxed that away and then you've got to come back to something else but you've you, you can't be crying then you know can't let your amygdala be in overdrive then um you know that little part of the brain which is in charge of the fight or flight mechanism you've got to continue and I think a lot of people right now would probably 
uh, identify with that. We don't have that commute necessarily because work-life boundaries are very, very blurred. Yeah. Like I'm working in my bedroom right now. But at the yeah, same time, how... Well, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. hard. It's not easy, is it? Like you're having to factor in lots of different elements. You know, if you've got delivery, you might have a delivery come. You might have family members. Stuff. I, you know, it's wonderful having a cup of tea and, and having someone tell me. There are others who perhaps are is- who I know are isolated, but still having to, you know, figure out boundaries, etc. But if you're able to use a skill like a, a short story, which is why I did it this instance, then I think that's really handy. And I think with the pandemic, if people wanted to and they felt capable of just like you know writing what perhaps they think is now life that has changed for them they would see they would probably learn a lot in terms of like you know the narrative and you know at some point when we all look back on this and then this period of, of of immense change that um those little minuscule short stories built together are going to build such a an amazing picture of 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 what's you know of what's happening right now with us all Yeah, I think as well, there'll be so many shared experiences. So I think everyone will have us that wants to write will have a story that millions of people will be able to understand quite quickly. Yeah. Um, You put a call out on Twitter, I saw for um, short story recommendations. Do you you have them listed there at all or any that you... So between Twitter and Facebook, I have actually got some, which I think will be interesting for for the audience. So... um, Clearly, Jumper Lahiri is is always on on the list. And then somebody said the dinner party by Joshua Ferris, um, and the story of your life by Ted. I might be pronouncing this wrong, so I have to actually apologise. Ted Chiang, um, it made my friend cry. And but she said that this is a story the film Arrivals based on. And then Manuela, who I gave a shout out to earlier, so um, who writes her own short stories. In fact, I think one is called um, Billy No Mates, which is worth reading, um, and that's just come out in December. So she also gave loads like Raymond Carver and Cathedral. Tessa Hadley's a really good writer um, in another country by David Constantine and it was made into a film called 45 Years and my other friend Anna who's written a book about pot- pot- pottering at the moment she put one out called um, The Fun They Had and she said it's particularly relevant at the moment because it's all about like online it's a science fiction story uh, first appeared in a children's newspaper in 1951 um, and it's all about computerised homeschooling so I was like Anna I think you're on the ball at the moment yeah yeah that's very timely yeah I've kind of I've made a bit of a list myself here from polling family members <laughs> um, uh, so I have oh, Lydia Davis um, who I love uh, she's uh, wonderfully strange uh, she does lots of sort of very short stories some of them are only a few lines um, then Shirley Jackson uh, she wrote The Lottery and she's got uh, sort of quite a haunting vibe there. Obviously the most famous one, like The Dead. Um, there's lots of Irish ones here that, that I've read recently because they're in the library because I don't tend to gravitate towards short stories. But Danielle McLaughlin, Dinosaurs and Other Planets. Uh, she's just amazing. And then there's a few new ones out, The Art of the Glimpse, edited by Sinead Gleeson. And there's a new one coming out, um, Adrian Duncan, who I interviewed on this podcast, he's a minefield dam- uh, dynamo that's coming out. But yeah, lots of ones that kept coming up. Primo Levi, or Levi, The Periodic Table. Uh, oh, this is one I really want to read, but um, I keep putting it on display in the library and then people take it, so I don't get to read it. So The Heads of Coloured People uh, by Nafisa Thompson Spires. Um, so definitely when that comes back in, I want to read that. Um, but I think once you start, once I've started looking into it, so many authors that you like have short story collections as well. They, um, obviously it tends to be way into writing novels, but, um, I, I think if you're not sure where to go, you can go by an author you like, or go by maybe a, comp- a collection of, 
um, edited versions of essays as well. I mean, I found, again, because of this, in fact, I ended up reading this last night, so I didn't mention it too much, but Granta's really, really good in terms of the collections that it, it has. And I ended up reading one yeah. called the, the Dog of Tetval, which is by Sadat Hassan Manto and translated by Atish Tasir. And it's about like this poor dog that's moving between um, the Indian and Pakistani army in a particular place. And so it's all about, you know, at first it's welcomed by all, but then in a war, you know, what happens to those in the front line? And the poor dog becomes the motif and things like that. So because of the, you know, us, yeah. us going, let's have a conversation about short stories. It definitely has opened my brain up a lot more. So I, I wanted to make sure that I thanked you for that because... Oh yeah, no, thank you because you, you chose them. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I find uh, definitely being able to finish something is fulfilling, and and so it's it's a lovely research project. I think. I think so too. And so, thank you very much for talking to me today. That's been really enlightening, and I know you've had a busy day. You were um, giving a lecture earlier, were you? Uh, yeah, I was in the... Um, so a friend of mine who actually is a writer, his name's um, Sammy Hings, he... Uh, so he would send me his short stories went from university onwards, but now he writes longer things. Um, uh, like, there's one book he's actually dedicated to me that came out recently, so oh, I thought right. I owed him a favour. Um, yeah, you definitely do. <laughs> like, um, I think it's the story of Dr Gachet, so there's a, uh, which is out. But, um, yeah, I was doing a masterclass on... on um, on writing funnily enough to, to some students and um I enjoy doing stuff like that because at the end of the day I think this yeah. is, we learn from you know we're talking about short stories now you know and I said it, it's a gift we're learning from these writers and I think if you have that ability to to be a conduit and have that talent to be able to tell stories I think it's a duty to be able to pass this on those skills to others because you just don't know what doors yeah. you're going to be opening their mind and for me you know when people are willing to talk to me like about their writing and their habits, it makes such a difference, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. not feeling so isolated, but also thinking actually this is something that I can pursue and something that I can offer up. And if you have that belief, then who knows what, you know, what will come from your brain and, you know, maybe yeah. some of those students think... will be the next best short story writers. Yeah. And it's like the whole of offering your ideas. It's not like not giving away your ideas, but if you cling too tightly to your information and your what your knowledge and your your um your tricks and tips, uh, I, I I don't think you're you're learning then. So if you're open to sharing, you're you'll get back as much I think. Um, and also you, you your ideas, you, if you don't treat them as like this is the only idea I have, if you let them kind of out, mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense, then more will come I think as well. I think um, for me now, and I'm again like I said, very grateful to you and. Because we're not being able to travel so much at the moment, and clearly whatever happens with the pandemic is happening, it's just given me now the impetus to, I want to know more sort of diverse, you know, I want to try and pick short stories from different countries, and clearly I'll have to read them in translation first, but to be able to travel, like, so if I yeah, can't physically, yeah. yeah, if I can't physically travel, then I want to be able to open my my eyes up and, and you know, and find out more from from. Uh, you know if it's Trinidad and Tobago or if it's um, you know Montserrat or if it's yeah. wherever I that's my intention now so that's been it's been a really useful learning curve in that that just because we can't physically do something stories and this is where libraries are super amazing because you know if it wasn't for libraries when I was a kid going into them like from five years on, onward those yeah. doors wouldn't be open you know because they're whole whole yeah. world you don't have to be able to travel with a book as it were yeah yeah and I guess it's about making those stories visible as well so we're, we're, um, we definitely try and make sure we, we're getting uh, you know as many international sort of um, 
and translated fiction and stories as we can as well mm, definitely you'll have to come back and <laughs> tell me when you've read do you wonder whether that's the next project you well. might have actually just sparked the idea yeah. for the next project it's like a year traveling without traveling but <laughs> who knows yeah 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 like the year in my mind and <laughs> it could be great well thank you so much for talking to me thank you